And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education and politics and a little bit of soccer. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And let's uh, start with the politics because there's been politics going on in, as usual, the West Ada School District. And also at the state level, you've kind of been sitting uh, courtside to watch both. Let's start with West Ada, two new trustees. Give, give us the rundown. Yeah, that I feel like my whole week, Kevin, was one giant West Ada school board meeting. I was out there Tuesday night uh, for several hours. I was out there Thursday night for a little bit shorter amount of time. Uh, but the big news is the state's largest school district, the West Ada School District, following a year of chaos and turmoil, is back to full strength on their school board. And, and you've covered in depth uh, where we've been and what happened in West Ada, just as a quick refresher, over the span of about eight to nine months, district patrons saw the sudden resignation of their former superintendent, Linda Clark, and turnover among four of the five school board members. The new superintendent, Dr. Mary Ann Reynolds, is in place. And um, going back to the primary election on May 17th, voters mm-hmm. created two openings on the right. West Ada school board by recalling former board members, Tina Dean and Carol Sales. And right. so the district, it, it put the school board in an interesting position. They, they weren't at full strength. They couldn't go into executive session. They didn't have the full powers of a board at full strength. And which so, also meant that they had to interview their applicants in public session this week, which is kind of, kind of interesting, kind of unique that you were able to sit there and watch the trustees vet the, the applicants. As a reporter, as someone interested in transparency, I loved it. They had seven candidates interview on Tuesday for the first seat. They asked ten questions, the same questions to all the board uh, applicants. Uh, it was there in front of the public, in front of Superintendent Reynolds, in front of the existing board members, and you got a chance to compare these folks side by side. And the questions touched on everything from leadership and relationship building skills to school choice, uh, common core, Mm -hmm. and uh, moving beyond the controversy. And it was kind of interesting. And so they picked a couple familiar names, Kevin, to round out. These are not newbies. I mean, these are folks with some some background. Yeah, absolutely. First, on, on On Tuesday for the Zone 1 seat, they picked Ed Klopfenstein. That may not be a name that everyone knows. He's a software developer who lives within the West Ada School District boundaries over in Meridian. Uh, But he ran uh, for the school board two years ago and and finished third in a pretty close three-way race. And so he had, uh, this had been on his radar. He had run before, campaigned before to voters, and said he was actually interested in running again next year, and then the recall happened. So they picked him for the first opening. And then, man, Thursday night, they had four candidates, and it was a packed field when you looked at the resume Mm -hmm. of of some of those folks. A former dean of the University of Idaho, a former school trustee from West Ada, a teacher from the Wilder School District. Who had taught in West Ada before. Who had taught in West Ada before. And they ended up going with Steve Smiley, the son of the late popular governor, Robert Smiley. Steve Smiley, who they picked, is a former state legislator himself. And um, it, it ran was for it, state superintendent in '06 and, and nearly won the Republican nomination. That was against that Tom Luna. Tom very Luna. close. Uh, yeah, nearly ran, won the Republican nomination for state superintendent. So a, a packed field, and and I got the sense in talking with the existing board members and Dr. Reynolds that it meant so much to them that they had 
the number and quality of applicants to choose from. At one point, the current board chair made an analogy comparing the district's decision to sort of a young student fretting between, do I go to Harvard, do I go to Yale, or do I go to Stanford? He said it was that strong uh, of a candidate pool that they could not have gone wrong. And so uh, they appointed the the second of the two seats on Thursday. Coming up on Tuesday, June 14th, those members will be sworn in. Then that board will be back at full strength. And not that things will settle down, Kevin. They may be able to put a little bit of the controversy behind them, uh, but the district is facing a tight, tight, difficult budget situation brought on by growth and the cost of construction of new schools. So and we have that budget issue because of the student fee, uh, the lawsuit, the lawsuit. And the you know, elimination of the student fees. So. And so we're coming into the budget setting time period of the year. So while they may be able to move past some of the leadership shakeup, they certainly have a lot of work to do and a lot of difficult uh, decisions to make in the, in the near future for West Ada, for sure. Shifting gears, another political issue you, uh, you spent part of last week on, and we talked about in last week's podcast, but let's get caught up. The Republican convention has come and gone. Uh, firearms were one of the themes. Fireworks, uh, not not so much this time around, at least compared to 14. Not like we saw in 2014, where infighting really marred the convention, and, and, and people just sort of cut their losses two years ago and adjourned without accomplishing any business uh, for fear of it just being this a terrible situation. Uh, but so fast forward to this past weekend. It was kind of in our backyard. It was in Canyon County in Nampa at the Idaho Center there. And um, it, they touched on education a little bit, but it certainly didn't have the fireworks, did not have the controversy from a couple of years ago. Uh, they were able to seat delegates, for instance. They were able to, uh, Republicans were able to get along with Republicans from other counties, and they were able to work their way through their agenda and, and do some different things. And and they passed a couple of resolutions that have to do with schools. Uh, explain. And these were things that we've heard about, Kevin, and that you've covered. The first, uh, the Republicans voiced their displeasure with Governor Otter for vetoing that Bible in Schools Bible bill, bill that we covered during the legislative session. They said it was a political move by Otter and that it put him at odds with the Republican Central Committee and the legislature. And so they passed a resolution urging the legislature to pass a constitutional amendment to bring to the voters. Uh, and and the, the, the folks who brought this from Lemhi County said their intention was to make it a stronger resolution than what the uh, governor vetoed. So that was the but, first. But even so, it suggests that there may be a battle brewing at the next legislative session over this issue. Uh, and, and I kind of wondered what would become of this legislation because Cheryl Nuxle, the senator from Cottonwood who had pushed the bill in the first place, she lost in the primary. So if this resolution is any indication, there may be uh, some legislative sponsors who may take up this issue again. There may well be. And, and just to keep in mind, this was something that Attorney General Lawrence Wasden's office warned the legislature about, that this could violate specifically the, the Idaho Constitution. Constitution. So a state constitutional amendment would uh, perhaps be, you know, 
the sponsors may see that as a workaround. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, and then the Governor Otter, when he vetoed it, he did mention the Attorney right, General's concerns. So that was the first, uh, one of the first of only two real things that dealt with education that we covered last weekend at the convention. The second was another resolution brought from uh, Republican delegates that had to do with the Obama administration and the Department of Justice's guidelines on access to facilities uh, for transgender students. Right. Uh, based on their gender identity. You had covered that in the state response a little earlier this summer. Uh, so Republicans passed a resolution urging the governor and the constitutional officers and school administrators to push back uh, against these federal guidelines on access to facilities. That passed unanimously uh, at the um, resolutions committee level, as did the Bible in Schools bill. But as you reported, Kevin, this is kind of something that has already been working itself out. The governor asked the state to support the Texas lawsuit, but then you talked to some school districts about how they're handling this. Yeah, it's really kind of interesting the way you worded it, because uh, the resolution is urging a pushback at all levels. Well, there is pushback at the state level. Uh, The governor has said that uh, the state is going to file a brief supporting the Texas lawsuit, as you mentioned. But at the district level, not as much pushback. I mean, I... Yeah, a lot of the big districts uh, that I looked at are working on policies to try to accommodate transgender students and try to work with uh, the students and their parents uh, to come up with some solutions uh, to to make the school environment comfortable and and welcoming. Um, And I've really kind of taken an approach of, you know, students uh, have a right to access to schools and we have to figure out some sort of... uh, come to some sort of an agreement about how to make that accommodation work. So I'm not saying that there are no superintendents or no administrators in the state who have reservations about this or are uh, inclined perhaps to push back. But from what I've heard from the larger districts, there is no pushback going on. We'll we'll see. Well, we'll see. And we'll see if this, I think this resolution was kind of an immediate reaction uh, to breaking news. There's a timeline they have to get these mm-hmm. in. And, and so I think it was more of a reaction of what was going on at the federal level. And so that was the extent of the work that the convention did involving education issues. I want to point out just real quickly, Republicans did not have the votes to update their party platform. The platform is different from their resolutions in the sense that a platform is a set of policy points, aspirational goals, whatever you want to call it, that have been vetted and voted upon that sort of, you can couch this in several different ways, but maybe it would represent the ideals of the Republican parties. They did not have enough votes to update that platform document, so that's and, unchanged. And, and candidates and office holders are not obligated to adhere to the party platform, but no. sometimes run afoul of voters if they are too far astray from a party's platform. So the platform has a little bit more weight uh, as a document than resolutions, which are, are more like a, a non-binding will of the committee. Kind of a strongly worded memo to the people that they're addressed to. And, and so uh, that was really the extent of, of, of the convention. I don't think this will necessarily be a convention remembered fondly for years and years. Uh, but they did... Uh, get past some of the inter-party squabbles from a couple of years ago. Um, But anyways, I do want to talk about some other topics. The school year has ended, but Kevin, you took the opportunity to look at the controversial Common Core-aligned SBAC test and how things are going this year. 
Last year, results were late. There were difficulties in, in, in getting it graded and getting it returned to districts. What's, what's the scoop this year? Well, this year it sounds like things went more smoothly. Uh, state officials seem pretty happy with uh, the way the testing process went and how the grading process went. So uh, the tests were conducted last spring. Last year, districts were waiting on test results well into the summer. Uh, the state is saying the results are in hand. Uh, another thing important to remember here on the SPAC tests, uh, the state is saying that they saw no evidence of opt-outs. Uh, the opt-out issue is important in the sense that uh, states are still required to have 95% of their students take a test, an end-of-year test like SBAC. And if they don't hit that 95% plateau, there is the possibility that the feds could turn around and withhold funding. Uh, the state is saying opt-out issues were, were, were non-existent or, or minimal, uh, that actually more students took the test this time around. So, you know, we'll see the numbers, and we'll eventually see statewide and district-level numbers about uh, participation, and more importantly, also, uh, how did, how did st students do, what sort of grades uh, did, did students pull on, on the SBAC. So, the second year seems to have gone more smoothly, and we'll wait on the numbers now. Okay, sounds good. I know you will follow that. Let's keep talking about testing, though, Kevin, because we have fairly a, a big day coming up on Tuesday where we're going to learn about the SAT. Tell us, tell us what's going to happen on Tuesday regarding the SAT test. Okay, so Tuesday is the day we're expecting test uh, scores uh, on the SAT from April. April was SAT day around the state, and this is the day where students uh, can take the SAT, this college placement exam, on the state's dime, uh, it's covered by the state. Um, so almost every high school student, or, or a vast majority of the high school juniors anyway, wind up taking the SAT on SAT day. So we'll get those test results for 15,000 some kids, um, and we'll get a sense of how they did. But it's gonna be really interesting and really complicated to try to draw a whole lot of uh, conclusions or a whole lot of comparisons. This is a whole different SAT. If you go to idahoadnews.org, I try to answer some questions about the new SAT, how it differs from the old SAT, what to look for with these test results. It's a very different exam. For one thing, the, the scoring is completely different. Right. Uh, last year, it was a three-part test. Perfect score would be 2,400. 800 points per section. Now you only have two sections, one that deals with uh, verbal skills, uh, reading and writing, the other one that deals with math, so your perfect score is 1600. Very difficult to draw comparisons between the old scale and the new scale, so you know we'll be able to get a sense of you know, how, how did schools fare and how did schools compare, and even that's a dicey comparison. Sure. Um, the, the college board, the, the group that uh, administers the test, uh, it really frowns upon using the SAT as a sole measure of uh, school performance, teacher as does performance, the district performance. Superintendent Ibarra's administration, right? I mean, you know, there's only so much you get from this uh, this snapshot, and you know, so we will see, and we will see. Um, also, you know, we'll get some sort of a metric, I suppose, uh, on college readiness, and that's been a really controversial debate within the SAT debate. Uh, what percentage of Idaho students are college ready as deemed by the SAT scores as, again, one measure of college readiness. So we'll see. Uh, those metrics are all changed, so it's really going to be hard to draw comparisons or parallels or any kind of historical uh, 
any kind of historical thread here, but we will get the numbers on Tuesday. We'll have the full uh, wrap-up and rundown of what the, what the numbers say and what they mean. But if you're trying to get a sense of what to, to watch for, uh, check my story on idahoednews.org. That's a good resource. That takes us into next week. We're going to be looking for those scores. We will report on them on Tuesday or as soon as we get them. Real quickly, what are some of the other things on our radar next week? It is going to be busy. For, for early summer, it's a pretty newsy week on the education beat. Uh, Superintendent Ibarra is going to convene a summit in Boise uh, dealing with uh, Indian education issues, and I will uh, cover parts of that on Monday. You'll be busy Monday morning. The state board is convening a committee. They're going to be looking at the new No Child Left Behind replacement, the Every Student Succeeds Act. I will cover that on Monday. And, and ESSA is a big deal. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in a pod a few weeks ago. I mean, the compliance and the uh, you know, what, what you do now in the implementation of, of ESSA is a big deal, and it touches a lot of different aspects of education. So The ball is really now in the state's court when it comes to uh, oversight and, and, and regulation and, and, and achievement, and so it'll be interesting to see how the state uh, begins to implement this. Speaking of the ball real quick, the summer of soccer, Kevin, is underway. I know you're a big soccer fan. I follow soccer. The U.S., uh, as we speak right now, is still alive in the Copa America tournament and the Euro tournament which is one of my favorite tournaments, uh, is starting on Friday. Do you have we a... may or may not be able to watch some of this while we're juggling <laughs> all this education stuff. We'll, we'll work something. Do you out. have a team you're going to be watching real quick in the Euros? You know, as, as somebody who's sort of a, um, you know, of German and French descent, I can kind of, you know, waver between either side, and if either, either side comes out and, and wins, I can be happy and celebrate kind of pulling for the French and kind of have a hunch that host this country here is a host country and they uh, launched the tournament Friday so we'll, we'll keep an eye on it and I'm, I'm definitely watching uh, Copa America I get to uh, go to uh, Seattle next week to watch one of the quarterfinals so I'm kind of watching to see does the U.S. wind up in this particular matchup do they advance now, all the stuff that uh, you know I love international soccer when you get to these international tournaments there there is nothing quite like it um as a spectator on TV and definitely in person, there, there's something just magical about the, the emotion of watching amazing athletes competing for their country, not competing for a paycheck. So it, it's, it's fun. I can't wait till uh, Thursday night and, uh, to watch some Copa America in Seattle, but uh, I'll, I'll squeeze some TV in. Who, who do you like in all of this? For the, well, for the Euros, I'm going to pick kind of an old historic power that's fallen off in recent years. I'm going to watch England, Kevin. Not only do they have Wayne Rooney still, but they have some young strikers for some of those Premier League teams that tore it up this year, Tottenham and Le- Leicester City. Leicester. Uh, I'm excited to see how Jamie Vardy and Kane uh, will do. So I'm going to be watching England for uh, the Copa America. Obviously, I would love the U.S. to do well, but I think this is... I go with Argentina uh, is, is the team that I'm going to watch. If Lionel Messi gets healthy again and they play well, I, I think it'll be tough to stop Argentina. And Colombia is looking very good right now in Copa America as well. They beat U.S. Uh, in, in the opener. Uh, they may wind up uh, winning that group. and you know, That's the fun of this. There, there are so many different... Uh, yeah, there are so many teams in contention in both of these tournaments. Absolutely. It'll be fun. It's going to be busy. I promise that we won't be so distracted with soccer that we won't cover education issues every day. And we will be back, or at least I will be back next week on Friday with a brand new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.